Fuck the Northern Hemisphere. You heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here. I'm anti. I'm anti North. <laughs> I think most people North live is in the made north. up. Words, man. Yeah. Um. I don't actually believe in the North. You don't believe. In I the don't north. believe in the North. You're like one of those kind of birds aren't real flat Earth types. Yeah. yeah. Despite yeah. all your reading and the fact that that doesn't make sense. And that I have a science degree and you have a science degree. Okay. Um, You're one of them. Yeah. That's cool. So where is um. Where's Greenland on the flat part? I mean, if it was flat, is there a top and bottom? No, no, no. So the whole thing with the flat earth is that, so the Antarctica is actually uh, bordering the disc and stopping the water from falling off. And the Arctic circle's in the center. Okay. And everything goes around it. So Why is it cold also in the center? Is it because you haven't cooked it all the way through? Yes, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's like a microwave also, situation where it's still go, frozen in the middle. Once you go over the equator... It's not north anymore, is it? It may as well be south. Why is I mean, it we called, could just change the name. Why is, it, why is it called equator if the Earth is flat? Because um, it's equidistant. It's, it's actually still equidistant. From the edges. <laughs> All right. But in the which direction? <laughs> just to <laughs> clarify. <laughs> that just came out. Before yeah. we do this episode on <laughs> maps, uh, the Earth is indeed round despite how flat maps are. Um, I know it might be a confusing concept. Yeah, I know it's difficult. We're going to get into that. <laughs> Oh, good. That's great. And and the weird reshaping of the earth uh, to be flat in a map context. Yes, yes. Look forward to that. The earth might be flat. You've got me convinced, Samantha. <laughs> Damn it. I'm so scared. Let's kick off. Let's, let's fucking let's fucking do it. For Dale's sake, we can fucking do it. I believe that we can get it done if we try. Start your engines, boys. Start your fucking and I've been drinking since fucking six a.m. I think we're fucking ready to do the podcast. Let's ride. <laughs> I think that was a Bugs Life reference I just made. Was it a Bugs Life reference? Yeah, with an unfortunate. Oh yeah, Kevin uh, Spacey. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm, moving on. Moving on from that. Villain. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame. Uh, it's a great film, though. Is it? Yeah. A Bug's Life. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okie dokie. I don't think it is good. <laughs> I mean, it's no ants, but it's pretty good. It's, I don't think ants was good either. <laughs> I'm saying I think that the bar for film is pretty low. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm talking about a very specific category of uh, bug-based bug films. films. <laughs> yeah, of the late '90s. They were both <laughs> the peak of bug-based films. <laughs> Outside of David Attenborough. <laughs> Should we record the fucking podcast? <laughs> Good idea. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Music and Everything podcast, where we try to find out what is awesome about things, especially things we didn't know about before. My name is Jim. I'm here once again with the mighty learned power couple that is the Sam's High guys. How Hello. are you? Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Now, while I sip and drink my coffee... Uh, why doesn't Samantha, who once again is wearing our chief investigator hat, yeah, two very in a fancy row. hat, um, bloody tell us what we're talking about, mate? Um, so, Samuel, what am I wearing on my ears? Samantha is wearing earrings. A in very the shape. fetching pair of <laughs> yeah, stunning, uh, and they are in the shape of a globe. They are in the shape of a globe, and that's because today we're talking about maps or cartography, which is the name for the for the making profession of the making maps. maps. <laughs> um, but we're talking about maps. We've got a globe in the middle of the table because yeah, we own one. we're going to be periodically spinning it for funsies. Yes, because it's fun. And then I'm going to point at a place and go like, there, <laughs> we, we strike. <laughs> we are cats and we also- We're are... going to St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sure. But we're talking about the cartography today and um, it's a very interesting topic. Sam and I uh, have a secret interest, not so secret interest in maps. We own quite a lot of map books. Uh, in this household. I didn't really realize that until, you know, today. Um, <laughs> just like, let's get our study notes together. Oh my oh God. My God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, just a heads up, there will be many visual elements to this audio only podcast. Yeah, so so you guys watch very carefully. <laughs> you just keep those <laughs> Pay ears attention. really keep open. eyes peeled. So I figured uh, 
a good start today would be a little etymology break because we've got a straight few away. straight away big swing let's yeah go. because we've got a few things that we should probably uh define slash kind of really get to the root of uh what it means so we might start with maps so what is the etymology of map Lacat. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I said a French thing in the episode. Well, Tell you that on the list. Yeah, put put, um, put, it, put it down. So a map. Here's the formal definition of a map. A map, a symbolic depiction emphasizing a relationship between elements of some say, space. I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you say depiction? <laughs> I surely did not, <laughs> Why but time will tell <laughs> now that that is taped forever what, what for is all this to a, hear. What is this a quote from? A Sam? symbolic depiction. <laughs> <laughs> the common definition, symbolic depiction, emphasizing relationships between elements of some space, such as objects, regions, or themes. 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 Meaning you could have a map of like uh, an episode of a podcast. Sure. Sure. Oh my God. A party theme. Like, Can we're, somebody we're, do that? We're going to do a, uh, like a, a cowboy's theme for a party and here's the map of that. Mm, yes. Happy birthday. So okay, there's a the- couple of things I want to highlight in that. Yeah. Right? So one is that it's symbolic. Okay. Okay, so straight off the, straight off the bat, um, you think of a map as like, oh, of course, a map is reality because we're so used to looking at a map like this globe in front of us and going, oh, that's our world. This is how we understand our world. Spin, spin, spin. But it's just it's a symbol. It's, it's, like, it's not actually being up there Maribar. and taking a photo of... Um, the globe, mm. you know, the actual planet, yeah. which wasn't done until the 1950s and 60s. Like it's a symbol. It's a it's a symbolic representation. It's a way of like it's an artist depiction <laughs> of the ideas that we had about lines and where people belong. Yeah, and and themes is in that as well because it's not always about space. So the etymology, though. So the etymology which of which is map, what I asked for. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on task, me. Samuel. Um, it's from medieval Latin. Um, it's from Mappa Mundi, uh, which literally means tablecloth of the world. Um, oh, because sick. the Mappa part is the tablecloth bit and the Mundi part is the world. It sounds a lot like a day where you have a specific meal, like Taco <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> Mappa, having, Mundi. Ma- Mappa Mundi <laughs> is where we sit down and we eat a lamb named Mappa and uh, we miss him. <laughs> oh my God. So wait, Mappa, so Mappa, it could be just tablecloth. It's, it's just, yeah, well, it functionally just means cloth. So, you know, it, and oh. it would have been printed on cloth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like that's what you put a map on. You are taking a three-dimensional and symbolic human-perceived universe and placing it onto a two-dimensional space, in mm-hmm. this case, a cloth. Yeah, okay, that's, and wow, okay, that's <laughs> fascinating. Um, so cartography, which is sort of very, is the creation of maps. Um, but actually it's, it's sort of the study and practice of making and using maps. So, and the inter- the inclusion of using, I think is really fascinating in that definition because that means that when we're using Google Maps, we're engaging in cartography because we're engaging in the practice of using a map. So I am like a transient cartographer, as, <laughs> yeah. as, which is now my official but title. But I also I'm think put that- put that after my name. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Hell yeah! But I do think that most cartographers, um, particularly historically, were not primarily his, like cartographers. That wasn't like a primary profession that you did. You were- um, you know, some you had you're some an other enthusiast. Yeah, no, but you, you were you too. You sort of did it for fun. <laughs> yeah, you're you're like a polymath, like an educated person in person in an educated Persian, <laughs> um, actually, um, an educated Persian. I tell you what, their maps were absolutely terrific. <laughs> so related to what you were saying about maps being kind of a symbol, uh, the process of cartography it, it sort of builds on this premise that reality can be modelled in a particular way to communicate sort of spatial information. Wow, we've gone wild early. Yeah, <laughs> so... We've gone all the way in. Yeah, but so I, what you're I, saying is neither the maps nor the world exist. Is that... Um, <laughs> that's well, the theme so far. Put okay. that on a map. All right, let's get existential. <laughs> well, Can someone I, map this podcast, please? This, um... I feel like this episode does get a little bit existential, though. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, because there's a few historical maps that we're going to get into today, and there's a few non topographical maps that we're going to get into Mm. today that I think you've got, Samuel. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to see the way that maps serve a very particular function um, in the, depending on how they're constructed. Mm. So obviously everyone knows Google Maps. And I say that everyone, everyone everyone knows Google Maps. Everybody in the world Google Maps, yeah. Our Lord and sponsor Google. um, GPS is a very common thing now. People can just put in 
where they need to go and the phone and will take, tell them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's a really uh, interesting sort of extension of this sort of like where cartography started and where it is now. They're like, that is very much focused on roads and buildings and mm. commercial enterprise or residential places. Mm. So it's not, it's not necessarily, when you look at Google Maps, it's mainly you're looking at roads to get to and from places. It's the thing that connects everyone it together. It is a functional piece of something or other. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but, and then you sort of think about um, sort of like maybe railway maps. Which are always chaos. Well, yeah, they're schematic mm. maps. So. And they're drawn by someone who's just like dropped a whole stack of acid and going like, all right, <laughs> all right, get this. The, the lines aren't the train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> they depict nothing. The angles we choose are irrelevant. The length <laughs> is, is nothing. Nothing means anything. What's that line Space there? is a ball. That's the Thames. Doesn't look like the Thames. Correct. I know. <laughs> there is no Thames. <laughs> but I think that's another example of like that. So Google Maps serves a one particular function, helps you find places, it helps you travel the marked out like roads that we have to get from A to B. Train ones, like you said, they, they actually don't give you any sort of meaning about distance between things, actual topography. They just allow you to use this one particular system that they we have. They are an unreadable child's coloring in book. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that the, is one take. Yes. The London Underground map was the first of that kind yes. to have that idea because it was one of the first to actually need it because they were like, how are we, how are we making sense of this? Yeah. Um, so that's, you've drawn a bowl of spaghetti. That's all you've done. And it's, it's a perfect example of how maps select stuff to present to you or like, uh, you know, they show their purpose, right? Mm. Because if you just had like a all details included map of London. <laughs> it's like every stop, uh, every shop, every business, yeah, every road. you put that on the inside of every train just stamped <laughs> on the wall and somebody walks up just, I have no idea where to go. None, none whatsoever. Is this London? I can't see. I mean, it's even got the details of the Thames. It's got the sediment layers and like, you know, you know, unlimited detail. Can I just ask? And it would be completely impenetrable. Yeah, and I mean, are the, is the design of those railway maps based on some kind of research into the function of human you know, absorption of information? Um, it's about, I think, it's based fu fundamentally just on presenting something that doesn't need to be based on geographical sort of... Um, yeah, it doesn't matter how far you're going. It doesn't matter you how far. Next you just need the to know... The yeah. station is Murray. Yeah. Murray <laughs> station. Well, it's certainly backed up now because there's, there's a whole thing in um, like cognitive psychology where um, your cognitive limits are really shorter than you might expect. And I think we can all relate to that in some way that, um, you know, you <laughs> boy, can, you know and as you said, like if you get on the train, if you saw like this mess of information yeah. and you're stressed and you're like, you know, you've got the two kids with you in a shopping bag and you're trying yeah. to get, you know, like that's just like, you're not going to be able to process what is on this crazy map. Yeah. And so you go like, what is the information I actually need to see? How many stations until I'm home? Yes, safe. the love of God. <laughs> and like, that's what you need to see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. And I think that that, again, gets back to, so when I, Sam sort of looked more into, Samuel, sorry, should be very specific. You could, you, why would you be talking about yourself in third person? <laughs> why would you start <laughs> yeah, that absolutely. now? You're right. Um, Sam looked at the maps particularly, and I looked at like how maps are made, what is cartography and how does that work? And the one thing that was really interesting that kept coming up was that it's not that maps have an agenda, that the map maker sets the purpose of the map. So you have to start with step number one in constructing a map. What is the purpose of it? What is the agenda of the map? What are you trying to communicate? You're saying that the map, like, oh, the map has an agenda. It sounds like it brings political map into a whole new meaning. It's just like, oh, this map is so political. Like, <laughs> it's like such a woke map. Well, I mean, that is a, I mean, that is a really interesting uh, thing to bring up because there's a lot of, in the cartography space, there's a lot of theory about the fact that the reason why we have nation states is because we started mapping things. We started oh, creating, mm. trying to demarcate boundaries between, which actually then meant that we had this like, sort of like imagined but tangible distinction between places, which meant that you could then go, we are a community, we are a country, we are a nation. So cartographers are responsible for all wars. Got it. Um, when, <laughs> when, when did we start making, do you guys have like when yes. we started making maps? maps? Okay, so the oldest the oldest possible maps. Mm -hmm. So we're, go we're gonna go far back into prehistory. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> back. Our fortnightly journey into prehistory. Oh, great. Um, so there's a few candidates for what the oldest map is. Um, so one of the oldest candidates is, and I say candidates because it's, sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's a map. You know, we're talking about 
humans' symbolic depictions of space, but from, you know, 20,000 years ago. Yeah, it's the, it's the train line from Heathrow, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is um, a mammoth tusk, in fact, that has a map on it. Um, and it's found in Monday Czech Republic, dating from around 25,000 BCE. What and the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> What is on it? Yep, yep, yep. Well, the surrounding landscape. So it's a landscape map. So it's got the mountains, the rivers, <laughs> noting the, the valleys of, of the region. So so it is it is clearly a depiction of the space. The fucking map of the area and they're traveling and they have to carry a fucking mammoth. <laughs> Why don't you just pull over and ask for directions? I can't. Fucking <laughs> cheese. It's the most impractical. Uh, maybe yeah. it just felt awesome. Just like you were the navigator. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so another candidate it's is- cartography because they had to cart it around. That's the etymology. <laughs> and so the next two candidates actually um, circle back to two other podcasts that we've done. So the first one is that um, it's an Australian one. So oh, shit. A probable early map, one of the oldest um, candidates as the of map. Uh, oldest candidate of map in the world. So, yes. Um, is a carving that maps the, um, the Barker, the Darling River mm-hmm. um, in um, and all of its tributaries. Um, and it's on just, it's on like a sort of conical sort of stone that's been carved and tapered down. It's from around 20,000 BCE. What the fuck? That's dude. dope. Oh, so like yeah. these simple things designed to assist in, I suppose, uh, navigate, because we're, talk, we're talking hunter gatherer. Like this is obviously well pre um, agriculture. Agriculture yeah. and, and, you know, being yeah, in Australia. Uh, Whatever what they call it, like an organized. Society. Society, I guess, of, yeah. of like being in a, a one place and staying there, creating disease and- um, Cities is what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it can be this complex, complex way of saying just cities just yeah. that, that covers everything. We're, like where people live and they, <laughs> and, and, they, and sometimes they shit and sometimes they shit in the yeah, street. No, no, it's, so it's tens of thousands of years later, you get a map candidate that's um in um Chattelhayuk. Is that how you say it? Chattelhayuk? Chattelhayuk. Yeah, okay, we're getting close. Really? Um, yep. Uh, yeah, and in modern day Turkey um, as one of the oldest cities- um, in the world, mm-hmm. and it's actually the, it's theorized to be the first one. city post agricultural yeah, revolution. Shit. Just to be clear, Ty. okay, thank you. <laughs> um, and yeah, that one's probably even less of a map than these ones are. The only reason why that, that one of the map of the Barker in Australia is um, in doubt is because the river has changed in twenty thousand years. Yeah, of course, so Weird. They, they can't confirm that it's the same rivers. Mm. Um, Wait a second. So were they just mapping the river so that they could maybe sort of understand where they are in relation so they've got the river as sort of their central guiding point of like where they are in in relation to like i I don't know because i i have a tattoo of the risen river on me now and i sort of can use it sort of yeah (laughs) as a way to go like i know that we are here because i know that like i know what's in this area where the the shape of the where the shape of the the curve is and so like it's an interesting kind of idea of them mapping out the shape of this river so that they can mm. have this guiding principle. And rivers are a really great tool because they are constant. Not to mention and it's yeah. like a traveling people, mm. like being close to a source of water is probably a fucking good idea in Australia as well. It's just like, we're not going to venture out too far away from this thing. Yeah, and, and the Barker like then and now remains this massively important and massive river mm. <laughs> So um, in Australia. So, and you know, Sam, in a way you have a map on your arm now. <laughs> And it and yeah. it is in many ways very similar because in our discussions about this like um, Barker map, we're assuming that it's for practical purposes. It may not have been. Mm. It could have just been artistic. It may have been symbolic. Yeah. Mm. Um, just like the one on your arm. No, this is purely to get around, Samuel. <laughs> this is like this you is should actually... add the bridges. <laughs> should, be, should, be, should be a lot safer walking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where um, I'm going so, now. So we're talking about li- not lines being delineated, but things being represented mm. in that time. Uh, are we talking about like the birth of countries and stuff? Like what, what kind of, when did those kind of maps come around? Like when we're starting to draw lines around, this is mine, that's yours. You speak something else over there. I don't like you very much. Well, actually maybe the maybe this Babylon example is a good one. So um, the oldest map of the world is a map of Babylon. And of course it's not of the world, it's a map of Babylon, but mm-hmm. that's the way the Babylon- That's <laughs> how they- That was the PR. things. Yeah. Um, that was their worldview. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's like, you know, those maps that put just like North America in the center, you know, you know that vibe. Oh yeah. Um, so this was from the sixth century BCE um, and it's a symbolic map again. So this isn't like, this is not, you know, from medieval cartography onwards. This isn't triangulation and using compasses and stuff. That comes way later. This is in the um, Mesopotamian, 
and it's on a clay tablet, but it's really, really cool. So it's it shows Babylon at roughly the center of this circle um, and the circle um, is the ocean, but the word that they had for the ocean um, in Akkadian was Maratum, which means the bitter sea. That's tight. Sorry, the bitter river actually. Sorry, the bitter river. Yeah, don't drink that. Yeah. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> um, and so past that are these triangles that depict like far off lands and describe the sort of beasts that live there and mm. stuff. And of course, within the circle are other cities that aren't Babylon. Um, so it's this awesome like symbolic representation of this. But yeah, it's, and it's, it's a, of course myth is inscribed in it as well. A decorative piece of nationalist propaganda. Uh, <laughs> Babylon is the center of the universe. So we're talking like you know, those those old maps with like here they be dragons and whatnot. Like yeah, that's yeah. all, that's where kind of inclusive of mythology into uh, a, a representation of the world. Like just don't go there. Don't go further than that. It's too far. Yeah, we also, we haven't because <laughs> yeah, boats we haven't. aren't very good at this point. <laughs> I can only imagine what's out there and I imagine dragons. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a good theory to be honest. I just want to note the text that's on this um, cuneiform because... Uh, it's so tight. <laughs> and it also just shows just how mythic and symbolic this, this worldview that's inscribed in this is. So the text describes the creation of the known world according to the Babylonian worldview um, by the god Marduk who created the land and sea by splitting Tiamat, uh, the former god of the ocean. Um, so the quote that's actually on there that's you know, very roughly uh, translated, of course, uh, is the ruined gods which Marduk set inside the bitter river are present, the viper, the great sea serpent inside. Oh my God. Whereas ours just say kind of like Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> Scale is one to 1,000. Yeah. <laughs> North. It, well, not even that. N, E, S, and I believe the fourth is W. Uh, yes. To quote, if I'm, I may be misquoting the maps. Uh, so that is Babylonian primary schools must have had that hanging up on the wall. <laughs> nice. This is how you understand the world, children. But I think, um, so... That sort of north, south, east, west concept is really important, obviously, with maps because when we look at a map, it's important to, even though it doesn't help us with the way that we use maps now for navigation, it's still kind of, we have this idea that north needs to be up, mm. south needs to be down, <laughs> and then east and west are in the directions that they're in. I can never remember which way they go. Um, but that wasn't how maps <laughs> used to be. <laughs> Shut up, Sam. That wasn't I how- I too suffer this. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't how maps used to be depicted. So I've actually got the first- Visual aid of the podcast. All right, open it up. Everybody watch carefully. So what it is, it's, an old, it's a 16th century map of Ireland. Um, and so when you look at it, um, you've been to Ireland, you've seen Ireland before. I have, um, from above. Does it look, how, do, how does this look right to you? What they've done obviously is that Ireland has been rotated, uh, what, 90 degrees to the, to the right uh, because north is sideways on this particular bad boy. It's objectively wrong, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it um, feels wrong, but this is how most maps were made. Yeah, right, okay. Because, uh, interesting thing, uh, to be orientated, to for one to Surely be oriented, oriented um, it means to Boylan, literally Masham. to face the east. Oh, ori oh right, okay, which so, is why. Okay, yep. So when we think of being like oriented now, we think of like, we, okay, we need to ma make this map face the right way. We put north at the top, but yeah. back. Mm. Back in the back in the day, it used to be that they would put east. Well, in this case, west is at the top. Yeah, because but they would put east at the top. Medieval Latin, um, wasn't it? East was um, Oriens. Yes. So yeah, so it's that's just the origin of right. the now very antiquated and pretty gross way of describing Asia, the Orient. The Orient, um, because yeah. it was east. Mm. Um, it literally meant east, east. of what? <laughs> well, of Europe, of <laughs> well, course. Europe, <laughs> the centre of the known universe. But one of the earliest examples of perhaps a. So this map is, it's pretty accurate. The coastline's okay. There's some yeah, trees it's not bad. The line it. work is all right. It's and fine. They've got some ships. They've actually got on, dragons. Ships. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing about dragons. old maps is that like it, it's it's obviously hand done and, mm -hmm. and it's kind of, it's all it's got sick ship shit on it. Sick ships. Sick ships. Um, just to imply ocean, like it's not, it's like it's got the Spanish sea written to, to the south of Ireland, which of course is to the left of the map. But like <laughs> through the Spanish sea, just in case you didn't get that that was an ocean, they've got big fucking ships on there as well. It's just like, it's obviously that the, the artistic element of the map showing that this is, as you were saying before, like mm -hmm. a, a representation of a world rather than a... Uh, direct like a photograph which of course didn't exist at the time it's like it, it, the the look of it was important 
Yeah, and there's like there's little symbols that are dotted throughout it, like there's little houses and things like that. And we'll get into if you know we'll get into like what the decision making is around including certain symbols or not including certain symbols. Much uh, like a map in a video game, it actually does help to have those drawn on. Yeah, <laughs> there's obviously a side quest there. Where that, there's <laughs> a like, little look, shield. There's a in the shield. You got to go. go there. That's probably main quest though. Let's avoid that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I noticed. Sorry, I just had to notice that before we move on to this map. It's just like Ireland is always they got that wrong right up until like the 19th century, I think. And it's because there's so many rocky shores of death for ships <laughs> that they probably just never got They're close like, enough to uh, get Northwest uh, Ulster right. Right. So like, yeah, <laughs> right, interesting. Um, but one of the most accurate maps, first really, really accurate maps that was ever produced was the Cassini map of France. And what he did is he used something called geodesic triangulation. So essentially the map nice. was amazing. Um, all made by triangles because what, what they would do is they'd measure the distance between two points and then they'd measure the angle. And it meant that you weren't getting the distance interrupted by the flow of the terrain because it was based purely on triangulation. Right. So what that meant was, is this map was essentially the entirety of France is as accurate as you can really get without our complicated sort of, GIS sort of well, satellites. Stuff. Without satellites. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's all triangles. They just threw one of their friends really high in the air. And was like, what and do you he's see? he's like sketching while he's like, fuck, 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 What fuck, did fuck, you fuck. see? I see France. <laughs> <laughs> but what ended up happening was, um, this was based on the roadways because it was the easiest way for them to do it. So it was accurate, really accurate depiction of like the road systems and all of that in France. Not super good for figuring out where houses were. But what it ended up doing was, because it was the first really accurately drawn map is that he gave it to the King of France, Cassini. Four generations of Cassini worked on this. It took 120 years to make this map. Holy fuck. So you could imagine how much it changed. Yeah. You'd be pissed. <laughs> They'd get to the end of that and be like, we have to do it again because- Brest has moved again. <laughs> but what happened was he gave, they gave the map to the French King who wasn't the original French King who asked for it. Um, and what ended up happening was they, technically shrunk France by 20% because the King of France thought he owned more shit than he did. That's hilarious. But but then they, they kind of mapped it out and was like, actually you own 20% less than you thought you did. There's a Map Men video about this, isn't there? There is a Map Men. Most of my knowledge of maps comes from <laughs> Map Men, which is a YouTube channel, which is fantastic. Check and them out. Check them out. They do the most hilarious short videos on maps, but they did a whole thing on triangulation in the map of France. It's... Like, I'm, I'm just thinking about 120 years to make a map. That just pisses someone off. That just pisses someone off. A no, very are, powerful, vindictive person. I'm pretty person. sure he ended up getting put in prison for it. Yeah. Uh, because I, the- Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was well, going to Well, because by the time this was done, like the monarchy had fallen. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that there was at one point- Oh yeah, didn't yeah, literally yeah, yeah. like Napoleon yeah. confiscated the map and put him in prison. This is bullshit. <laughs> no, he loved the map. He loved <laughs> the didn't map. like the casinos. beautifully drawn pile of bullshit. Well, because- uh, like generals, you know, warlords, they loved accurate maps because accurate maps were the Macurates. secret. Accurate <laughs> maps, immaculate yeah. accurate maps yeah. were essential for victory. Yeah, of course. You know, like knowing but I mean, the layout. But the, the thing land. is, if it's not topographical, you know, you've you've moved away from a map that's like, and three days hence you shall arrive at, at Brest. <laughs> uh, because of obviously you have to cross the fucking mountain to get there instead of just like, ah, it's over there. 20 meters. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I, I wanted to bring up as well that, you know, in this journey of maps, like, and we were just talking about the 18th and 19th centuries um, and the development of sort of modern cartography. But even in the ancient maps, not all of them were purely symbolic. So there's a Chinese example of this, which is really cool, um, from the Qin era, which is in the Warring States period. Um, so we're talking like about two and a half thousand years ago. Righto. Um, and so it's a map of river systems, as is quite common, but it also includes roads and it's all the all of these details around Sichuan province. But it's not just that. It has labels of the rivers, labels of administrative counties and notes all of the different types of timber that are available in different like areas and with distances in in miles from uh from where they need to where they need to go. So like this is an economic map. This is not like a this is no there's no dragons on this. Like, this is just like yeah for trade purposes alone. Yeah, and this is still this is thousands of years old. It's among the oldest sort of maps of its kind. It's certainly the oldest economic map. Interesting. Well, I mean, I suppose it's one of those things where it's like if you start talking about functional maps, then trade has to be kind of the mm -hmm. the catalyst for that, right? Where it's like we need to get our shitty stuff mm. that we have too much of and get some functional stuff from somewhere else or just salt because <laughs> things are so yummy when you put that. Like <laughs> when you dump it in salt. If you're going to go get the yummy, this is the way to go. 
But yeah, I, I think when we're, we're, we're sort of talking about maps in a really sort of uh, abstract way, but also talking about them in this historical sense. There's a lot of like political stuff when it comes to map making mm -hmm. uh, because there are a lot of decisions that go into it. So this economic map, it's including very specific details about timber trades mm -hmm. and, and industry centers and administrative ports. You've got military maps that are much more focused on river systems, access points, forts, those sorts of things. And then you have uh, maps like the one of Ireland, which had churches and, uh, and other functions. And so there's an element of decision-making that comes into this, which is called, um, like it's a technical term that's called generalization, where you're making a map, and this is why you have to set the map's agenda. Um, <laughs> you generalize then on what you include in it. So, so it's entirely based on the priorities of the cartographer. Essentially. Or yeah, the, or the, whatever the cartographer was hired to make. Because like cartographers were making maps for themselves, but they were often hired by somebody else to construct a map for a purpose. Mm. And so if you've got a military map, they don't care about where the churches are or where the nearest Mac is. is. They want to know, <laughs> <laughs> as they had in the 18th century. Of course. What if my agenda is conquering and timber? Well, then you need four. Well, it means you're and playing Age of Empires. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great map. Yeah, it's a terrific map. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so... To kind of couple with that process of general, were you just doing the age of yes. empire theme? Um, to, the, to couple with that generalization, there's a, there's another stage of that which is called symbolization, where you actually establish these symbols. So you have like the little the little houses with the little cross on the top for a church, mm. or you have like this. What what was this? Do you know what the symbol was for the timber? I was it know, trees? No, or you've got like the idea of when we look at our modern maps, you've got the green areas are the forested areas and then you've got the roads are coloured in a particular way. The dollar sign is where the ATM is. And the train line is the little, is the, the little sketchy thing. Sketchy, yeah. the, the train, well, the track. Mm. It's literally the track. And so there's so many decisions that go into like how a map looks. And I love, because I was I was going into so much detail about especially the symbolization stuff because it's like you can have pictorial ones, you can have functional symbols. So you can have a ski resort is depicted by a skier. You could have conceptual, conceptual symbols. So dollar sign equals ATM, you know, those sorts of things. But you also can just have, there's one which is just abstract, which is just like arbitrary symbols that the cartographer has decided to use, which may be <laughs> completely like- It's their own form of shorthand. Yeah, no just, one else appreciates this map. No, it's just for me. <laughs> Actually, if you look at places like, I mean, Paris is a good example because it's got so many sites to see. Um, but even on the, like on the Metro map, so we're talking about how shitty train, <laughs> train line maps were earlier, but just like, above the names of the stations is a little photograph of the thing that's there, given that they have so many tourists that, mm. because the, the stations are obviously not named after the thing that's there. They're named after the area because it's a functional city thing, mm. but they know you're trying to get to like the Arc de Triomphe or something else. So they got a little picky of it you at peasant. that place. You peasants. So yeah, they that's, that's, I find that to be very useful, but again, that's like a very specific to one city thing. Yeah, and it's an addendum to a, so like you said, it's it's sort of like an addendum to a functional map where it's um, the the map for Parisians or everyday French people serves one particular purpose. They don't need to look at those symbols. They know where they're going because they know the names of the places. But then it's also, you've got this other layer on top of that of like tourism being an important part of that. And you see that all the time. Yeah, with, that's the agenda of the map. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that's the purpose of it. And that's how people engage with it because there's also there's an element of decision-making that is like, you need to put in enough information so the map is interpreted the way that you intend it to be interpreted as mm. well, which is such, such an interesting idea of like, you have to construct this in such a way that your people are going to look at it all in the same way. Yeah, despite language differences, cultural differences, that kind of thing. It's got to be appreciated, which is what blows my mind about the fact that we have like essentially an agreed upon map of the globe. Mm. You know what I mean? Across across all of, spin, let's, spin, let's give it a little spin. spin. Point, Can I do it this time? Point to one. Where are we going, oh, Sam? I skipped. So we were going to Quebec. <laughs> it was going to be Siberia. So I think I think we won. I think we ended up with a much better result there. Um, but yeah, like the, the idea that basically, you know, around the world, there's one big map that we all agree on. That's like, and then it shifts and changes with, you know, when the countries have bad things happen. Yeah. Google Maps is different in different countries, of course, with contested borders. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, no, no. So Google Maps in Russia has to include Crimea as part of Russia. I see. Um, and 
I think China just recently changed it so all the maps has to have to be uh, run, hosted in China so they can be subject to Chinese laws. Oh, wow. So like anywhere where there's contested borders of any kind, um, you know, Countries. governments are really like uh, particular about how maps are presented. So it's like, you know, we have a universally understood kind of global map except in countries run by shit cunts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that seems to be yeah, uh, what you yeah, just said. Yeah, more or less. Um, yeah. And that political that's element- That's a Sam Gray quote. That's not what, <laughs> that's what you said. Okay. Right. And I think that we're also obviously, we're talking about globes here, but you mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast that we're talking about maps on flat pieces of paper most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so much like the earth, yes. Much like the earth. Flat. And so there's no. a there's a <laughs> there's a difficulty with depicting something that's spherical onto a like going from three dimensional sphere to a two dimensional. Mm. Um so we have a slideshow um that I created um which for, you can all enjoy with us. <laughs> if all you right, listen we're sit really in silence closely and watch the slideshow. So complete silence. What this is about is something known in cartography as projections. A projection being basically just a way of getting spherical stuff onto a flat plane. Mm-hmm. And of course, those early maps, they many of them didn't know it was spherical or didn't believe it was spherical. And now, of course, we know full well. So we know we have to, in order to create accurate um, because essentially we did throw people really hard. Yeah, we, we really did <laughs> in rockets. And a so high tech version of like what's the, our first slide? The Describe big it. sheet that you put someone <laughs> yeah. them up. So this looks like a map of the world, right? Mm-hmm. This is the Makeda projection. This was developed by Makeda in, I have the notes here somewhere. Was it not the 1500s, sure. my dear? Yes, it was. And what they did is they took a picture of the globe and they hit it with a hammer real hard. Yeah, so they <laughs> smashed it. So what it, basically the Makeda projection is the principle of like, if the globe was a balloon and you blew it up inside of a tube, tube yes. this is what it would look like. And so the beautiful thing about this map is that it is incredible for maritime uh, navigation. Because a straight oh, so line. I simply do not follow the tube. Uh, yeah, so, no, like, so you've got a tube and you've got a balloon. You, you blow up the balloon within the tube so that fold. its sides become flat. And then you unroll the tube. You unroll and you the, 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 the piece of paper. The tube. A, I feel like this is a very <laughs> unhelpful example. Okay. Uh, like the point is, is that the lines are straight. Okay? The, you the lines of the map are straight. The earth in a tube. Okay. Yeah, no. and this is useful for navigation, but. The um, the issue with this map is that it's distorting the relative size of the land masses with the equator being shrunk and the, the edges being larger. So you can see in this, there's a grid on this map. Okay. Um, Greenland looks fucking gigantic, right? That's yes. that one there. Yep. Wait, is that that one there or is it that one there? What? No, Greenland is the one, the big one. The big one. <laughs> yes. um, and Africa looks teeny tiny. Okay. That's not accurate it's at all. It's quite simply not the case. That is not the case. Greenland's actually quite small. Uh, Greenland's quite small and Africa's fucking huge. But the thing uh, is, I remember this in, you know, in primary school in in maps on the wall, you know, and and atlases, which didn't tell myths, great myths. Shame. And there were no dragons, but they did show a massive Greenland. I remember even back then you'd sort of go like, why is Greenland so massive? And then the atlas also says that the population of Greenland is like- 12 people. Seven people or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, what, what is with this? Yeah, and so this is, it's a really great, it, it was useful for the purpose that it was constructed for, which was maritime navigation, because a straight line on this map is gonna get you to where you need to go because it accounts for the spherical nature of the globe. Mm-hmm. So then you've got this, this one, one, which is equirectangular one. So this is Ooh, um, basically it's only useful for thematic purposes. So this is the one that you might see a lot of political maps. It looks like you've taken onto. like a, a map that's flat and then sort of squeezed it down, and now it kind of looks like a meme. Yeah, so like Russia is really long and skinny, which is odd okay. to look at. But like, it, you know, it is good for political maps. Yes. Because of that, the spacing is better. Yeah. And a political map being just a map with just and borders. And it shows of how big Africa is. And then you've what got is this. That? This is the Cassini map. So no. this is a different Cassini. Um, okay. Cut sphere model. So it's basically what you've got is um, you've cut the globe across the equator. So you've got a s- Antarctica on one side with a sphere, like a, like a circle situation mm-hmm. and the Arctic circle. It's, I my notes literally say ultimately not useful. Can I just say, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just we, and I don't think that anyone who suffers from motion sickness or vertigo should Google this. No, um, it's it really like rough. two drains that are sucking away the continents of the world. Yeah, it looks like what's inevitably going to happen when a black hole takes the earth. So all three of these maps do something which is called uh, scale distortion or size distortion. So the, the land mass is not, like the landmass ratios between all the countries is incorrect. So that's why you have something called the Gauls-Peter projection, which is trying to preserve 
correct size ratios. And that's where you've taken a flat map of the Earth and microwaved it and it's starting <laughs> to melt gradually. Yeah, like, it looks like you've rolled like a, like a pasta, like you're rolling pasta dough. And you're yeah, like or it just up. a Picasso of a map. <laughs> it's like the Earth is being melted. So this is really great because it makes you, it, it really lets you see that Africa is fucking gigantic. Greenland is tiny, teeny tiny. And mm-hmm. this little patch, this like Western Europe is like the size of my thumb. Tiny. Yeah. And like- And it does highlight that Australia is bigger- Really as big. well, because yes. we're we're huge, huge. Um, and then this is this is just um, just another one to show okay. you. Okay, that one is the same thing but upside down. And now <laughs> everything looks like different cuts of. Steak. Okay, this is one of my favorite maps. I had the upside down Gauls Peters projection as my desktop for my computer for ages. And the reason is is because it totally messes with your worldview of well, your literal worldview, your, yeah. your view of the planet, um, because. The beauty of this projection is unlike the standard Makeda one, which we see and most of the time is on Google Maps and like and like that. Um, it's actually a proportional to the land area. So the continents are the right size, Africa is the right size, Australia is the right size, Europe is tiny. And, and it putting also it upside down. highlight that like, you know, again, that Europe and North America are not necessarily the center of human the, civilization yeah. and therefore the universe. Yeah, so if you look at upside down, it really does just, because we're so used to associating the north and the stuff on top with the powerful, important stuff. Yeah. Like looking at that, that what's on top is South America, Africa, and Australia. So again, this this is doing the literal opposite of, you know, the original kind of artistic depiction of maps because this is so realistic that it completely, it is devoid of a political agenda and... Uh, entirely representative of what the world actually is, and you and can't use yeah. it either. Like it's not gonna, you're not gonna be able to like navigate, navigate <laughs> with this. You're not gonna be able to like, you can't accurately place countries in this. This is a fist in the air. It this is, is just <laughs> a purely, it's just purely symbolic. Yeah, but well, because it being upside down is just as valid as it being the other way around. We've just, we've just arbitrarily mm. sort of settled on north being up. It What's this been one east. called? It's the inverse Gauls Peter. Okay, great. Um, and we just want to make all of this Googleable for people who aren't watching the yeah. fucking slideshow. It also show. features in an episode of The West Wing where there's somebody pitching to the White House. I remember that episode. Yeah, yeah. And, and CJ's saying, like, you can't do that. You're freaking me out. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Which so, is how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Sam, Sam, <laughs> so they're just some other maps. Uh, oh my God, this is it, yeah. Oh, what am I looking at? <laughs> this you are looking at and all of you at home are also looking at uh, the Dimaxium map. Okay. Uh, the Dimaxium map is not a useful projection for most things and is insane. (laughs) For those playing the home game, it is a series of triangles. It is nuts. It's like all the continents are in the center and Antarctica is to the right somehow, but Australia is to the left. And the pole is in North Pole is in the center, and it's a series of triangles. What it looks like is like kind of a a kindergarten exercise where they've they've printed out something that if you cut around, correctly around the lines and folded it together, it would make a globe. That's really cool because that's kind of what it is. It is oh, the globe <laughs> projected onto an icosahedron, which I actually I googled that. I'm like, what's an icosahedron? Oh, it's a d20. Um, it's a, it's a, d20. It's a d20 sided okay, die. Right. Yeah, okay, sweet. Um, and then it's folded out as this map of triangles. Right, so it is a kindergarten exercise. Indeed. And it was invented by Buckminster Fuller, an American <laughs> not futurist. A person. That's a, He's a that's famous a person who I did not know about, okay. and now I do. And he was an American futurist and polymath from the 1940s. And while it looks insane, the point of it is to show the continents are sort of actually closer than your mm. standard map shows. Right. Our standard map shows, oh my God, there's oceans between these different worlds. But if you look at this one, you can see that. All the continents are nearly contiguous; they're nearly connected. You can see how close Africa is to, like, Australia. Spain. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, a, a practical application of this map, which was probably just to make a point and just be cool, um, uh, was that you can those like you know uh, early prehistory science, like deep time stuff, where you're talking about how humans migrated across the world. Um, it's really this map is really good for it because you can mm. you can you can see how it may have been possible. It's suddenly feasible because before you look at it, like how the hell did you know people get from Africa to you know Australia and to South America? And we used to swim real good, <laughs> and you can see well the, you, these links somehow seem intuitive. They do, yeah. Again, particularly looking at Africa's location compared to um, to Europe, and it's like again because I'm in Egypt uh, <laughs> and when studying ancient history, uh, you know around. Uh, say Hannibal's invasion of uh, towards mm. Rome, like going through and occupying modern Spain, like the Iberian Peninsula, mm. seems insane. And then I realized, like, no, of course it's really close to Africa. I just yeah. have those two very, very separate in my mind, culturally and cartographically. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
you have cartographed yourself into a corner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this idea that the continents are like super separate. And it's mostly, it's kind of informed by mountains, but mostly just informed by arbitrary and cultural reasons, you know, like over time. Yeah. And there's like, there's many different functions of maps that um, like there's, like we could do a whole full length episode on just like deep diving certain maps mm-hmm. because nowadays maps also have a data function that they didn't used to have. So like the first exam, um, I think we've got a whole book of, uh, it's called Uncommon Atlas, which has got maps, it's mapping underwater, uh, undersea cables, it's mapping bird shipping density, routes. shipping yeah. routes. And so it's using our traditional projection of the world and, and presenting alternate data on there mm. to make you sort of really see how like connected we are and how things interact with each other in a lot. Like the, the globe interacts with, interacts with each other a lot more than we really perhaps think we do, particularly in Australia as an island nation. It's like everything's happening in this sort of, total globe, total world yeah, sort of Yeah, so way. it's like, it, with particularly with shipping routes and stuff, it just makes me think that, again, like the map is purely constructed to assist in the viewer or the reader's use. Mm. You know, it's like it is it is uh, use-specific. Or, or it's to just for an understanding thing. So some of these maps of these kind of um, GIS data, like um, geographic information systems is what that stands for, but it's that kind of data analysis where you put spatial information onto a map yeah, um, and you learn things. Um, and some of these maps are really cool because they don't really serve any practical purpose and they're just like, you know, shades of colors by the amount of religious diversity in the country or um, poverty in indexes, indices. Um, you know, so to get, and it's not for practical reasons. You're just looking at it to go, oh, I understand something about the world that I didn't before. Is a pie chart a map? Is this what you're oh telling am I, am I like, am I learning that nothing makes sense today? Am I having my head spun? It's possible. It's possible. And there's, I mean, I mean, I could talk about so many maps right now, but we probably don't have time to get into all of them. <laughs> but one of the ones I do want to highlight was the first use of a map for epidemiology epidemiological purposes. Okay. I'm just so, giving the globe a spin. Just yeah, no, actually this second. is good because where, where are we going? going? To Tehran, guys. We're going oh, to Tehran. Oh, beautiful. We're, we're, okay. Yep. Um, um, <laughs> cool. So when you think about maps and you were thinking about these, especially these data maps, you're talking about like p- kind of using using the, the, the globe to sort of imprint data on so that you can kind of see how things, like where the epicenters of things are and how they spread and um, how things are connected. So when you look at like, there's one that's about light density so you can see where the cities are because that's where the brightest light is. The same, like sort of that is an extension of the kind of the first time that a map was used to sort of find the epicenter of uh, a disease outbreak. Wow. So in mm. 1845, John Snow, not the Game of Thrones, John Snow. Okay, all right. I'm not <laughs> going to do the voice. Yeah, I'm not going to do brilliant. the voice. Um, I refuse. Created, used a map of London to determine where the source of a cholera outbreak was. So what he did is he went and he spoke to all the people in, I think it was in Soho that he was in, um, all the people that were affected and he created a map and he sort of logged where the density of deaths were and he managed to find the source of the cholera outbreak in Soho and it was the Broad Street pump. He wouldn't have been able to do that if he didn't have the capacity to sort of have a map of this area and translate this information in a way um, that he could understand it. Yeah, and he proved that it was the spreading through the water, not the air. Because the theory of miasma was still very, very prevalent. So that oh, idea humors. of bad yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. And so what he found was there was actually a contaminated water source that was causing the cholera outbreak. And he did that because he was like the most deaths are the ones that are closest to this water pump and the least deaths, it kind of gets lighter. He just and plotted like, them and they were he all just surrounding them so on a map. He's utilizing a map to create a map. Kind yes, of he's using a map to create a different map. Yeah, that's right. like modern spatial data analysis stuff. Uh, like vote maps. Right, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, like vote maps I'm very familiar with. I look at them all the time. They're yeah. kind of like an interesting, like symbolic and practical map, but they're pretty much the same thing where you, you sort of map this thing that's not on the, on the map already, which is votes, and you sort of place them onto these areas. Mm. And you say, oh, there's this much votes for this party in this you put, area. You're putting an imaginary idea on top of another imaginary idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then it ends up being really aesthetically pleasing. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was looking at... Uh, you know, say in a US election, which again, mm-hmm. as we've said before, is both like electoral political chaos. Mm. Um, is it like if you're looking at, you know, pure, like as they talk about with the two party system, kind of red states for you, blue states, all of mm-hmm. that dumb shit. Um, the representation of states based on size in an electoral map, despite the number of, uh, what, are they, what do they call them? Electoral something or others? Are you talking about delegates? The, electors. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. They, 
like say for example, some of the states in the South that generally do go red are geographically massive, but the number mm. of voters and certainly the number of uh, whatever they're called mm. um, is is lower than yeah. see the high density stuff on the East and West coasts. And, but it does appear when you're mm. looking at that map that it's like, say the red votes are greater in number. Yeah, not. and so it's sort of spatially misleading. Um, and it's really common with vote maps. And I think especially ones that are work off states like that. Mm. And it's funny because the US, you see so many maps, not even of political kinds. Um, uh, there, there's a subreddit called um, r slash map porn. And it's, it's pretty much just devoted to maps of the United States with different features on them. Sometimes just taking a piss and <laughs> saying, with laughing at state stereotypes and sometimes with real data in them. Mm. Um, but just because that map of the US is really iconic. <laughs> like, mm. I know that sounds silly to be like, oh, a map is sort of iconic and like the globe is iconic. Like there might be an overreach, but like, um, I think that I think the US map is iconic. Like it's a really um, memorable pattern. Like uh, I know yeah. states on that map. Yeah. And I have not been to the United States of America. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, because of course, it, we're sort of steeped in that culture as well, mm. the globalization of American culture and with its uh, goods and bads, it's positive <laughs> and negatives. And I suppose like looking at a cool map is one of the positives. Yeah. I think that's a positive. And like people have used maps in an in a interesting kind of political way as well. Like we've got that one book called American Nations where he mm. uses, the author uses sort of the actual topography of the United States to explain why they are the way that they are. Yeah. So and engaging in that. Because like we haven't obviously, we haven't spoken about very the types of maps, topographical versus thematic versus whatever. Mm. But using the, and topographical maps are quite beautiful because you've got like the elevations and the hills and the mountains and mm. all of that. Using that sort of like environmental geographical framework to analyze something would be, is something that's really interesting. And there are, cartographic historians who engage in this sort of behavior as well, <laughs> mm. which is, I didn't know that that was a choice, might but, change careers. <laughs> <laughs> American Nations by Colin Woodward. Okay. So w what uh, he's doing, and he's actually, he's drawing on a long line of sort of cultural geography in the US. Cultural geography is what we're talking about now. Um, and that's like, you know, drawing the cultural and political groups of the United States are relevant of those state borders. Mm. Um, and I, I personally find the argument really cool. It's like you you read it and you kind of understand US politics a bit more because you can see, oh, wow, here's the sort of, there's the Appalachian region has this sort of, um, political uh, values and but you can map that visually and you can see, oh, I see now that there's these different sort of lower case N nations yeah, in a country right. okay. that represent different values and stuff. Witnessing the sort of, I suppose, geographic fluidity of, of culture within a place rather than an arbitrary straight line yeah. cut through nature kind of thing. Yeah, because like the one thing that is absolutely certain is the lines on the map, regardless of topographical, satellite, thematic, the lines that are drawn on maps around nations or states are arbitrary. They don't exist but in would real you, space. But would you consider that like, say, I think Western Europe is probably a good example um, of, I think Western Europe is a, a pretty good example of where culture may be represented by those lines, given given the proximity mm. of everything there and the fact that I, I know we've joked about it in the past on the podcast that it's like you could travel like half an hour's drive in one distance, everyone's speaking a different language and mm. dresses differently and stuff like that. And you've got tiny little nations with their own small culture and things like that. And of course there's similarities now given, you know, trade and globalization and all of that. But like those lines to me do make some sense, mm. certainly more than like state lines in Australia or even <laughs> state lines in the United States to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's all I have to say on that topic. Yeah, like is it like you know the way borders were created? You know, like they think about the state of Pennsylvania. You know, they basically said, "William Penn, you have this land. Go um, and you have this box of land. Do with it as you please." And he and, says, "Oh my God, thank you." And you know, and obviously the U.S. map is famous for the, the having a whole bunch of squares in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, to, you know, there's no you're not going to argue that's not arbitrary. <laughs> like that was just decided one day. Um, Australia is the same. And of course, there's the post-colonial situation as well, because in Africa, a lot of those lines were drawn by other people. Uh, they were drawn mm. by European powers. Um, the Middle East is the same as well, very famously. So um, looking at the globe without those borders for a second really does change the way you think. And sometimes those maps that measure, you know, things like poverty or shipping lines mm. or something that's really specific can actually kind of open your eyes to those connections. A sort of unifying factor of so you could use a map and sort of remove all of the the kind of uh, human drawn 
uh, and nation drawn lines and have it as like uh, a reminder of this sort of how connected we are as yeah. human beings that it's just we happen to be occupying different parts of the world and speaking different languages. Um, and we will be doing an episode on languages at some point uh, because it will be a fascinating <laughs> We <breakdown>. promise. <laughs> we promise it'll happen. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, maps aren't finished as well. You know, like um, I, the best example I can think of this is that um, not even Google Maps, I'd say, is OpenStreetMaps, um, which is this big, massive open source project to, to build a map that's, Along the lines of Google Maps, you'd probably recognize it very, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it, it's open to contribution, these amazing things can happen. So in 2010, after the um, Haitian uh, earthquake, um, which is an awful disaster, NGOs collaborated and they built um, better, wraps, better maps of the roads mm. um, using satellite imagery and they worked together. They pulled data using this map and built a better map of um, Haiti so that... Um, Aid could get in there, you know, like mm, um, true. Okay, so th- that's like that's like map collaboration that saved lives. Yeah, wow. And I, I just kind of wonder what the, the ancient people running a map of available timber would have dreamed <laughs> of being able to um, tap that information on phones. <laughs> yeah, things that we all need, you know, right now uh, yeah. to function as society. Let's put that on a mm-hmm. on a tablecloth, uh, <laughs> and that'll help, or on a mammoth tusk. <laughs> I think I want it on both, but I, I'll accept the mammoth task, I think. Yeah, I think that's the most dramatic map that I can potentially think of. Um, I, I would love to get into more detail about this at some stage. I think that, you know, looking into um, the specifics of cultural divides and cultural boundaries and things like that and the reasons why we tend to lean towards that. Uh, the need, what, Like what, what is the human need for division for example, like why, why does division or drawing a line make us feel more safe as though we are kind of putting a, a wall up around, sometimes nations putting a literal wall up mm. uh, around themselves and, and what surrounds them kind of thing. So that, yeah, I think wow. that'd be an interesting discussion on maybe the more negative side of <laughs> the human need to What's put that? things on a tablecloth. Like maps like can divide and they can unite, you know? Like. Yeah, and I, yeah, I love the idea that it's just if you take those divisions away, you remove the walls that we've constructed um, you do unify us as a species. And again, in some mm. of those depictions, witness, you know, how easy it was for us, to, well, how easy, oh my God, <laughs> how explicable it is that, you know, we did travel between these places and how culture has spread and where we have stopped and where mm. those cultures have grown and developed differently. Mm, yeah. And then we felt the need to divide ourselves and separate ourselves from each <laughs> other. Um, this is amazing. This is amazing. I was particularly amazed at the the how far back we mm. went with maps and and sort of again we talk about the human need to communicate, but the human need to communicate an idea of things that we need to survive at you know at any given time. Mm. How important it is to write that down because of course there's a generational aspect. If you don't have a written language and everything is you know sp- uh, spoken word down mm. generations, how much easier is it if you pass down a mammoth tusk? So that you know where the important locations in the area are so you can survive. Truly amazing. What a cool topic. So much more to talk about down the track. Yeah, we could definitely do some more. Okay, so that that noise felt arbitrary uh, and unrelated to maps in any way. Uh, Before we close, I would like each of us to have a little spin uh, to find out where we as individuals are going to travel alone. Where are you going? Going to Colombia. Hey, cool. That's Columbia. awesome. Nice. Yeah. You should definitely find someone to guide you through that. Okay. Right. Where am I going? Spin, 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 Samuel, spin, spin. Where spin. do you land? Spain. Spain. That's southern a nice Spain. Holiday. Yeah, it's a nice area. I think you could do worse. Yeah, you could definitely do worse. Let's find out how worse I can do. This is a big long spin. Boom. I'm going to Briz, which is once again in. Uh, it's it's just uh, just west of of Tehran. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, after yeah. our journey as a group to Tehran, I'm just kind of <laughs> hoofing it on yeah. foot to go there. Yeah, you were hooked. Yeah, this is, yeah, it's a lovely place to be, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you all very much for listening. I hope that you took away as much as I did from today, which is that we are both divided and one as a people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that a t- tablecloth has more than one use. So uh, I'm very excited about it and I hope you are too. Thank you once again, guys. This was really, really cool. 
Thank you, Jim. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's fine. I feel vindicated now that I also get it. Thank you. If you guys want to hit us up about your interests and let us know what you'd like us to look into, it would be great if you hit us up on Instagram at the Music and Everything Podcast or on Twitter at TMIE Podcast. It's been great hanging out with you guys. Bye from me and the Sams. Goodbye. Farewell. Bye. Farewell. It was very formal. Goodbye. Farewell. Well met. <laughs> Take care of each other, darlings, and we'll talk to you soon.